Hello and welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction and Relationships. I'm Wendy Conquest and I'm here with Tim Stein, Dan Drake and Jeannie Vitoni. Today we're talking about neurofeedback. And so um, I did a preliminary research here. And so I found out that this was originally pioneered in the 1950s and 1960s. But before I go too far, we have, a, we have um, two special guests on today, and that's Linnea Wilhelm and Gina Romo. And they are with um, an organization called All Neural Pathways. Linnea owns and is the founder of Elliant Counseling, and All Neural Pathways is a subset of that. And so they're going to join us as experts in this today. Um, but um, as I did my research, this was originally pioneered in the 1950s and 1960s. So it's been around for a while. And, um, and so it, my understanding is, is that it works on using a, a simple reward system um, so that people can learn to control their brain waves. Um, and Linnea and Gina will correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, but I became interested in this when I had a client actually who I was doing EMDR with and he on his own was doing other research and came across neurofeedback and started doing this protocol and came back to me and said, hey, Wendy, I think I've got for me the right combination for, for to uh, further resolve my trauma. The EMDR is amazing in its own right, but the neurofeedback seems to um, work in a different way to complement the EMDR. So that's how I became really curious about it. Mm. Have you guys heard of it? Have you have you heard of it and with clients or kind of out there? I've heard of it and I did a little research about it before, but I, I honestly, I'm so thrilled they're here because I got confused. There's uh -huh. this kind and this kind and this provider does that protocol and what's the right protocol and um, to be honest, I just got a little exhausted by the confusion and let it go. So I'm really excited. We have some people back here. I don't, I don't know if I've had clients. I can't like, that does not come to my brain very quickly. What about you guys? I've had, I've had some clients go through it and found really good results. Actually. I've been personally interested in trying it out myself. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard a couple people talk about it and I, I thought I got the concept, but I don't know that I fully do. So it, it seems really powerful, mm -hmm. but I would love to, I mean, I just love to know how it fits in all the work that we do and exactly, you know, what, what it's targeted for. Cause I still have a lot to learn. I haven't had anybody who has done it themselves, although I've, I've heard about it. I know the, the Meadows outpatient programs use or have neurofeedback uh, as a part of what they offer. And whenever I hear uh, from people who have have done neurofeedback, uh, you know, it, it sounds like a very powerful intervention and tool. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about it, what we can use it for, how it might be a, a really effective uh, uh, addition to what we're already doing. Uh, I'm really excited about this. This is very cool. I'm glad that they're on today. Yeah. My understanding is that can, it can be used for a variety of things, ADHD, anxiety, depression, and trauma. And so that's Linnea and Gina spe uh, specifically focus on trauma. And so I'm really excited to have them talk to, with us today, join the conversation. So let's have them come on. Linnea, come on are you down. there? <laughs> it's like a game show. Come on down. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Welcome. 
Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, thank I'm you. just going to introduce you. So Linnea, can you say, just wave for the video people? So they're both on the same <laughs> screen. So those, for those of you that are listening on the podcast, um, both Gina and Linnea are on the same screen. Um, so, okay. So give us uh, just an introduction on what neurofeedback is. Yeah, that is a loaded question. Um, there's a lot. I think we I think, ask the good ones here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's important to understand a little bit of, of the brain um, before we tell you what neurofeedback is. Um, there's a basic loop that happens in our brain that's a cortical thalamic uh, loop. So, information that's generated from the thalamus, which is in the limbic system, goes to the frontal cortex. And as information is taken in from the frontal cortex and goes back to the thalamus, then that sends out electrical information. So things such as natural disasters, assaults, developmental trauma, where maybe there's neglect, things of that nature, acute stress, you know, we're under a lot of stress these days, that impacts how the limbic system is emanating that electrical, electrical activity and information. And those things that are happening to us and how the brain processes these things can disrupt and create an imbalance in the brain and that electrical activity, which then we register as brain waves. So it's important to understand what's going on there and how the brain becomes imbalanced for us to then explain what neurofeedback is. Does that make sense to you guys? Mm -hmm. Sure. I'm yeah. with you so far. <laughs> okay, so then with neurofeedback, what we do is we already know what a balanced brain is. We've got tons of research, amazing, you know, things have come such a long way. There's still so much that we need to understand and learn about the brain. But as we look at those imbalances and we know where the, way, the brain waves are supposed to be, the dominant brain waves, we can start to understand where the brain becomes imbalanced. Um, and so I can go into more about the brain actual brain waves, but I'm curious, you know, what, what your guys' thoughts are just on what I'm saying so far. If somebody's brain is imbalanced, how is that going to show up? Does it show up as anxiety, depression? Does it show up as ADHD? Does it vary from person to person? Are there like telltale signs? How, how does it show up when a brain is imbalanced? So again, it's a super loaded question. Um, I'll do my best to answer. So we'll start, um, you'll, you have to know a little bit about the different various brain waves to understand how the brain becomes unbalanced. And so we start, I'm going to start and go through them kind of quickly, um, but I just want to share that brain waves ride on top of each other like ocean waves. So we don't just have one predominant wave in one area, they ride on top, but we do want to see dominant waves in specific areas that that wave will come up and dominate that region of the brain. So we're going to start with Delta, and I think you guys are maybe familiar with Delta. Um, Delta is responsible for the deep stages of sleep. Oh, can I have some more of those? <laughs> yes, I think we all need more of those. I'm in. <laughs> more sleep as a society. So we find those waves in the back of the hemisphere, um, and we want, and they're slow waves, right? And so we're looking at the frequency, and that's what determines a wave. So we have between one and four waves per second, and that's peak per second, and that is what um, is a delta wave. 
And we want to see that predominantly in the back hemisphere. We will see some alpha back there, some theta back there. But as you move up um, through the brain and move into the parietal area, that's where we want to see more of the theta. That's a four to seven hertz. So that's four to seven peaks in a second. Theta waves are responsible for lucid dreaming. It's sort of like when you're falling asleep and then you catch yourself and you, you know, have a little twitch. Um, it's also responsible for deep meditative states, theta is. Um, and then we move even further forward and we go to the top of the brain and we're really looking at alpha waves up there. That's more of a neutral wave. That's when we can relax. We have a busy day, we wanna watch a show and just kind of zone out, check out, but still stay a, a bit engaged. It's a really a neutral zone. Um, so that, that wave helps us to transition often. And then it's where, do you have any questions? No, 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 keep going. Okay, so then as we move even further into the frontal cortex, that's when we wanna see beta. And there, the beta is approximately from anywhere from 12 hertz to up to 21 to into the 30 um, hertz range. So we have about from 12 to, to 30 um, peaks per second. So this is where we stay on task. We can have metacognitive processes, we're working, um, we get a lot done, we go from one task to the next, right? Um, so this kind of helps you understand the balanced brain. On the temporal zones, we wanna have those low betas. Um, and so that's in that region between 12, 15, 12, 20. And that helps us have executive functioning thinking as well. The left side is serial processing, sequential processing. The right side is spatial, emotional um, processing. So how the brain becomes imbalanced, it goes back to that thalamic cortical loop. And so as the information's coming in, um, uh, the electrical uh, activity is sent out through the thalamus, then, and we're taking information in through that loop, that's when life circumstance starts to disrupt those waves. For people who have trauma, the brainstem, the limbic system, is responsible for extreme pleasure and extreme danger. Um, and so as information comes in and we have um, a... Uh, dynamic where the brain registers that as danger, then you're going to have high beta waves shooting up to the frontal cortex um, and, and can be uh, pulled into the hindbrain. We don't want beta waves in the back um, area of the brain. Um, that is what happens with people who have PTSD and end up with hypervigilance. So we're easy to startle. Um, we can't get to sleep very easily. Um, there's a lot of high-end anxiety and there tends to be a compensatory dynamic. So as the brain starts preparing for danger, there's beta waves back here, the frontal cortex might start slowing down. Now we have alpha coming in to the frontal cortex. Now that's gonna contribute, those slow waves are gonna contribute to depression on the left hemisphere. It's going to contribute to slowing of the processing speed, that metacognitive speed of task to task. So now we have ADD, ADD or ADHD. Um, so now you can kind of see how the brain becomes imbalanced. The areas in the temporal zone, we want those to have that low uh, mid beta range. They start slowing down. So, so can I ask a question here? Yeah. Am I, so what I'm hearing you say is 
and you did a beautiful job of this particular wave in that particular region is what we're that's the ideal yes. and these other experiences depression anxiety add for example what you're saying i think is the wrong not to not not right right but there's an overactivation or an underactivation of a different wave and it's not kind of really supposed to be in that territory yes inhibitory or excitatory okay and the brain okay. is compensatory, right? And, and so it, my guess is then neurofeedback is trying to rewrite putting the correct wave in the correct location. Yes, yeah, to rebalance it, right? And those those waves ride up, upon each other. Okay. Uh, you know, so that that's exactly what it is. Okay. Can I ask Thank another you. a basic question? Yeah. So you, you mentioned a lot. Um how do how are you seeing these waves? Uh, so we see them through what's called an electrical or an what is it QEG quantitative electrical encephalogram, um, and we collect that raw data. I'm going to actually let Gina take this. Um, Gina does all of the uh, hands-on stuff here at the practice, so she can give you a big, a great, <laughs> and amazing overview of all of that. Yeah, so so we just collect data, um, and that's something I like to talk about with neurofeedback too, is we're not stimulating anything. We're just guiding the brain to change its activity. So the way that we actually get that data is using an EEG, which um, we use basically for the first part of it is we'll do what's called a brain map or a QEG. Um, and it's really just a picture of how your brain waves are currently functioning. So we can see the imbalances We'll connect it to, you know, goals that you want to work on and find the commonalities. So that'll tell us how to actually do the training. Um, it tells us, okay, maybe we need to reduce beta in the back area of the brain, like Linnea was saying. Um, so that's like our starting point. When you actually do the training, you're still using an EEG. It's collecting data. And we just use um, either a cap that has specific electrodes, um, which are these little teeny devices that um, can actually pick up that signal through the skull. Um, we'll put those at certain areas, the areas that we want to train, and it'll just feed us the information to the computer. Um, and then this kind of goes into like how the neurofeedback actually works. Um, but as we're getting that coming in, if let's say we go back to beta waves, we want to reduce that. Um, we'll set a goal on our computer. And every time the person naturally hits that goal, so we pretty much set a goal that's achievable. It's not too hard, but their brain's hitting it sometimes to where they'll get rewarded. Um, they get rewarded. So they're actually, it sounds kind of funny, but most places you're watching TV. Um, and as you're watching TV, the screen will brighten when you hit that goal and it will dim when you don't. Um, and then we also use auditory feedback. So at the same time, you're hearing different like dings and whistles. Um, and that's a part of your reward as well. So again, it's, it's honestly, it's operant conditioning. Um, so it's just pairing a reward with a behavior. Um, so, so that's how we collect the data. It's coming through an EEG and we use, um, electrodes and different things to actually pick up that signal off the scalp. Okay. Yeah. I was confused. Cause, uh, I've heard someone was talking about neurofeedback and they were saying it's like brain games and maybe there's just different types where you yeah. certain, certain waves will stimulate this car on the screen to move or something. I mean, I don't know if that's what you guys do or if there's other, you know, ways that, that. You, you collect the data and then kind of give the reinforcement back. 
Yeah, it's like that's basically another way to give the reward. So like for us, what we do is we'll use the dimmer on the screen um, and then the auditory feedback. So that's their reward. Other places you'll have a computer program that is like a game. And so every time you hit that goal that they've set, it'll like move your character through the game more or, you know, whatever the game is, it'll progress you further and that's your reward. But the so same you, principle for- It's the yeah, same thing. It. It's just giving it to you in a different way. Um, there are, we haven't done it here yet, maybe, um, but there are some places that will use like tactile feedback. Um, mm. so usually it's like um, a little teddy bear that's in your lap and it'll vibrate for your reward. Um, I know in past experience, we've used that for someone who had very severe head injury and couldn't tolerate you know, visual or auditory mm -hmm. feedback. Yeah, so we use it that way. So there's a lot of ways that you can give the feedback. Um, the most common usually is visual or auditory, but the games are, yeah, a lot of places use games too, because it makes it a little more interesting. <laughs> okay. I've got a question here because the competitive part of me, um, but also the part that wants to heal, I'm like, I want a reward. How do I get a reward? Yeah. So <laughs> how, so when one someone, and maybe I'm jumping ahead and if I am, please slow me down. Yeah, I'm gonna, I am going to slow you down because I think this is really important and this is what um, really sets us aside from other companies. So we don't, that, that is a signet program um, where you can, you know, you really want to relax your brain and your brain does the work. You don't want to do anything or try to navigate the game, but we don't um, have that because we have high-end complex PTSD clients. And with that, we have infraslow frequency. Um, this is a program that's based on high-end developmental trauma by Mark Smith. And so for our population and our clients, we use a different uh, protocol that's um, specific to high complex PTSD. So I just wanted to, to share that. That's why we don't have that. And I did not bring that on to our practice at this point. Do so, we know if the brainwave differences that, that you're talking about, are they typically created by experiences within the environment or is there a pre-wired aspect to it with just individual differences? So I would say yes and. We, okay. know, we know that um, brain waves are passed um, often from the mother to the child. Mm -hmm. And so you might have epigenetic um, dynamics that come into play, but then also environmental factors uh, can influence the brain and create balance. I'd like to go back to um, something that might be super familiar to you, but completely new to me. Yeah. You said something like there was a sig signet program but yet you use a different program with folks who have a trauma history or trauma experience. What are the names of those different protocols or programs? Because I'm thinking like as a consumer, I need to figure out what's the right place or person or protocol for me, or do all practitioners know them all? I, I don't know. Yeah, so what were those two you were referring to and what are the uses of each? Yes, and so the infraslow frequency um, will register at a much lower frequency, and it is really responsible for bringing your brain back to its optimal frequency. We're all born with an optimal frequency. Um, you know, we're born, we're in the womb, and we're, we're relatively calm, and you know, unless there's trauma going on in vitro, um, and so we're looking at bringing that frequency to an the optimal state, and we do that through your feedback. So as we train this, 
um, we'll start at a frequency 0 0.0030, that's the baseline. And if you are training within about five minutes, you'll notice if you're feeling a little anxious. So we'll drop down by five frequencies. We'll notice if you're getting a little drowsy. We want you calm and awake, but relaxed. So if you're drowsy, like feeling like you had a glass of wine, that's too low. So we'll move five uh, frequencies up. Um, so it's really based on biofeedback, the low frequency. Um, Mark Smith is a brilliant man. He created uh, the, this um, software um, and it's just infraslow frequency. Uh, we use the brain avatar as our, um, our hardware device that registers to the, the computer system. And that was called Infro or Info Slow? Infra. Infra, infra Slow Frequency. Slow. Mm -hmm. And then what was the Signet program? Is that the one that Gina, Gina a, was reading? Yes, Signet is a higher frequency. It sets at a higher set point. So it'll create calm, but it's just not going to be doing the, the lower frequency that really needs to happen for people who have high-end complex PTSD, like war veterans who might have, you know, they might hear um, a, ba a car backfire pretty soon. They're down on the ground and they're in a fugue, a dissociative fugue, right? So we're really trying to reset their central nervous system. Um, you know, and Mark Smith, uh, who designed Infraslow Frequency, he also talks a lot about um, migraines and, and the such and has had phenomenal success uh, working with people who have migraines. If people across the country are thinking of doing neurofeedback and they're looking for a practitioner locally, can yeah. they call you to consult? Absolutely. Okay, because to, to, to have our listeners go on different websites, especially if they're in trauma, especially it, it's, it's not gonna work. So I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about how neurofeedback um, helps people with trauma. And so um, my personal opinion is that anyone with sex addiction or an addiction, uh, betrayal trauma, it has uh, trauma in their, their brains and then uh, referenced in their bodies. And so how can neurofeedback help them? Yes, yeah, so that's an amazing question. Um, so one of the things, and I, I think um, maybe Dan, you were speaking about this earlier, uh, and maybe I can start there um, with, so I, I'm also a survivor of CPTSD. And one of the things that I um, have noticed through all the healing work that I've done, EMDR, um, brain spotting, somatic experiencing, I just wasn't able to get a, a strong foothold on the hypervigilance. Just, um, just sorry, for our listeners, CPTSD is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. That's what Lene is referring to. Yes, sorry about that. Yeah, and, and so um, I couldn't get a strong hold on the hypervigilance. And so that's when I stumbled upon neurofeedback and the renowned Yvonne, Dr. Yvonne Tate here in Colorado, who works with an also a renowned uh, doctor, Dr. Jay Gunkelman. So um, as I researched it and began to get my own neurofeedback, I really saw a profound, significant difference in my uh, hypervigilance. I wasn't able to go into crowds uh, without feeling very anxious. I wasn't able even to um, sleep at night before I went on a trip um, that involved being on a plane. So after several sessions of neurofeedback, specifically the infraslow frequency, it was easy peasy. I was able to sleep through the night. 
I'm going to airports, great. Someone's too close, I can regulate and say, excuse me, do you mind backing up? Um, so just have that ability to know what the stimuli is, be able to regulate, and then be able to er execute a boundary. I wasn't able to do that, even with EMDR and all the other protocols that I used for healing. So what neurofeedback does is it rebalances, it restructures things in the brain so you can manage the stimulation that's coming into your life, especially after you've had a PTSD experiences for our war veterans, you know, for people who have been assaulted or people that just have high um, you know, acute stress day to day, you know, those first responders, we have, we work with a lot of first responders and doctors, believe it or not, that come into our practice, um, because they're inundated with acute stress, you know, emergency uh, doc, docs um, as well. So we have found that with the population that we serve, um, that uh, hypervigilance has calmed down for them. Gina and I, we kind of giggle and, and snicker a little bit because clients will say, oh my gosh, they'll, they'll send us a text and they'll say, wow, we just were in this situation um, and we've been in that situation in the past and we could not manage and we have been managing like a champ. And we just get so excited about those testimonials. We're like, yay, this is fantastic. So it, it just, again, that excitatory or inhibit, right? So if you have slow waves, we're going to increase those waves, especially in the um, temporal zones for people with trauma, so they can get back online and have the social perceptual skills that have been lost because of trauma. Or they'll be able to have more of the low beta on the left hand side, so they can do more serial processing. Um, you know, and we've noticed significant differences of people sharing this with us. And for addictions as well, we can talk a little bit more about that because I think that is a fascinating. Um, population. You have questions, guys? <laughs> I can ramble on. You can tell I'm very passionate about this. So one of the questions um, is, so how, how soon do people with PTSD um, see improvements? You know, it's a really good question. And I'll use, I'm going to kind of be a little funny. We have uh, these little <laughs> squishies um, in the office for people for, for stress. Um, but if you look at this brain, you know, think about this and you can indent this and then it comes back up, right? You indent it and it comes back up. People who have trauma, especially developmental trauma, their brains have become pretty rigid and orienting towards that trauma. They're, it's like a, a, a periscope. They're constantly scoping for danger in the environment. It's pretty set at this point. You know, whether there have been veterans and have been in multiple tours, things of that nature, or trauma in the past. And so when we try to shift a brainwave, we're, we're essentially trying to change that area. Well, for a person who has complex PTSD, that's not an easy task. We've got years where they have um, consolidated a new wave pattern to protect themselves. So for people with high-end PTSD, it might take a bit longer than the average person that comes in that just has like, I don't want to say just, I don't want to minimize it, but has a, a diagnosis only of major depressive disorder or a diagnosis only of ADD or ADHD. Um, so it takes a little bit longer. The in-between for people with high uh, trauma, might they might have a little bit... Um, more of an, an imbalance for the first couple hours. 
So they might feel a little bit more wobbly or a little um, just just foggy, fog. yeah. just not not themselves. But after a couple hours, things start to shift, and my goodness, they're they're getting more sharp. They have a little bit more ability to manage and regulate. And so we really ask that people come in twice a week. Uh, because once you train, you know, whether we're in inhibiting or rewarding, um, the, those changes are only going to last for about 24 to 48 hours. So we want people to come in and train twice a week so we can really get a strong foothold um, on that training. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, and how long would, would someone need to be doing training before kind of their neuroplasticity starts taking over and they, their brain starts taking over for itself? I love that. So again, everybody's different. That's why we use our experts because we take that raw data and we send it out to them. They take that information, all three of them, and get it back to us with protocols um, and the amount of time it likely will take for a person to, you know, begin to have that balance. For um, a person that has a single, you know, dynamic like major depressive disorder, there's going to be an average of 40 sessions. For somebody like that. Um, but people who have more high-end um, dynamics, like complex post-traumatic distress order, that can take up to you know 80 sessions or more. I'm going to be very honest with you, probably have had um, 150 plus sessions. Um, do I need 150? Not necessarily, but am I still improving um, when I do neurofeedback? Absolutely. I call them brain boost. So I'll come back and um, I'll be, things will be fine for several months, but then I'll start feeling anxious again and I'll come back and then it's just like riding a bike. My brain's like, oh, there you are. I remember how to do this. Um, so I invite people to come back for brain boost sessions as well. But Gina can talk a little bit about that as well because she has a lot, she answers these questions all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, in general, um, for someone when they're first starting to notice anything, you're most people, and I say like probably 90% are going to notice something within 20 sessions. So the 40 to 100 sessions is more for like most optimal changes. Like you're, we've made enough progress where um, I feel good stopping. Like I've hit my goals. I feel comfortable with what I'm experiencing. Like you know, I can handle this now, this is okay. Um, but you're noticing way more before that. So it's kind of like, and this is where it gets interesting. And I think um, we mostly find that for our clients with a trauma background, the ones who have been in therapy for a while beforehand um, and have really made a lot of progress and are very motivated and self-aware are the ones that are noticing things quicker. Um, like we'll have some people where it's like, they're noticing big things within five sessions of ever starting, which is not the norm, but we tend to find it's those clients who have done a lot of work before coming in. Um, and they're still continuing. Like most of those people are still in therapy and whatnot. And we highly encourage that because we're making shifts that um, are good, but in a lot of cases are new. It's new and you have to get used to that new way of thinking and feeling. And um, that can be scary sometimes. So um, therapy is really a key part of that. But as far as like when people first start noticing things, it's most people it's within 20 sessions, somewhere in there is when you'll start to see things. So, um, yeah, like I said, that 40 to hundred is for most optimal changes. So as, as therapists, we really like to have 
homework and stuff for clients to practice and work on in between sessions is is with neurofeedback is there work to do in between or is it more like go hit the weight room and just sort of let your body naturally integrate it in between I love that you're asking that question yeah you know we really uh, encourage people to do heart math um, heart math is my gosh just amazing it's another biofeedback right tool um, and there are heart math apps that you can get for, for lay people um, that you can get a sensor and just tap right into your phone and it has the graphics there. So as you learn to breathe and you learn to calm your heart rate down, that's impacting your brain. So that's going to substantially be a benefit to your neurofeedback training. We also ask people to do meditation. You know, they can start out with three minutes at a time and build up over the day or over, over several months. But what we're doing with neurofeedback is we're making your brain less rigid. So when you talk about neuroplasticity, uh, plasticity, that's what we're hoping to achieve is that when people, because it's not going to completely take away your stress response, you're going to still feel stress, but you're not going to be stuck in those rigid patterns of that, what, of what PTSD will do to the brain. And so now you have more ability to shift and have flexibility when you're stressed out. As long as you can come back to your breath, then your brain waves will follow. Um, it's quite amazing. I think um, maybe like another thing too that we hit on that's really important that people are paying attention to while they're doing it. Um, sleep is like key yes. for learning. So your brain, when it's doing neurofeedback, it's just learning um, to like a very high extent. Um, and so if you're, you know, we'll be able to see in brain maps, um, our experts can tell if there's possibly a sleep disorder going on and we'll refer out. But if there's not, and there's just indication of like someone has a bad sleep routine or bad sleep hygiene, like we really emphasize that it's important to get that in check. So we'll, you know, do our best to work on that with them um, if they're motivated. But um, that's a big one because that's when your brain is really solidifying those changes. Like it's, you know, um, recuperating, it's, you know, solidifying it. It's really like getting it deep into um, those neural networks. And so sleep's a big thing that we say like outside of here, like, you know, we really need to work on this if it's not in check. And most people, it's not in check. <laughs> um, I was thinking with, with trauma, that's part of the deal is nightmares, night terrors, difficulty sleeping. You're going to, there's exactly. going to be a problem. Yeah. So it's things that we work on and, and we go about it depending on the person. So, um, you know, if it's someone who doesn't really experience nightmares, like we actually get quite a few people who never dream at all. Um, and they'll start to notice that they will start dreaming as we're going because, um, the way that we're training the brainwaves allows them to go in and out of those stages of sleep better and in a healthier way. Um, but that will happen. So it's more of like part of it's going to come with the training, but then part of it might require work on the client's part in like being diligent with a sleep routine, because, um, it's really easy to get in a bad one and it's really hard to get back on track. <laughs> um, so we kind of take it with the person, some of it too, we can see in the brain map, um, you know, if it's not quite to the extent of a sleep disorder, we can see certain dynamics that suggest um, activity that's like waking them up at night or things like that. And so we'll address that with training. Um, but in general, to kind of like, you know, go back to your question, like sleep, something that we talk about with clients on working on outside of here. Um, and then I think the other thing usually is like, for our clients who do use substances, um, you know, are working on that, that's, you know, we really don't take anyone who is not, um, who's currently using, 
Um, and so it's more of a preventative measure, but I will say like marijuana is a huge thing that we see. Um, and so that's another thing that we'll hit on. So we'll get quite a few clients that come in and know it's a problem and they, they're really motivated to work on reducing that and, you know, address why they're using it. Um, and so that's something where we'll adjust as we need to, because any substance is going to alter your brain activity. And that's going to change the way the brain waves are showing up. That's not your true activity. And so it's like, we're not really getting a clear picture. Um, and so we'll work with the person to reduce it enough around their training sessions to where we can at least get enough training in where we can make some momentum. And eventually, you know, they'll gradually work on reducing those substances um, to where, you know, they don't feel that they really need it as much anymore. And sometimes it's routine. A lot of times it's because they're suppressing it, they're self-medicating things. And that's why therapy is such a huge part of this. Um, but that's usually the, the other thing that we really talk about, like outside of neurofeedback when you're actually training with us. Is there a place where there, this is simplified, right? I mean, that's one of the great things about YouTube, for example, like EMDR in two minutes, two minutes or less, like, do you guys, and maybe this is something to create on your websites if you don't have it. We're working, we are working on that. We're yeah. going to be doing a video um, for that. Um, TS, is it TSR? Um, TRS. TRS. I have a little dyslexia. So Dr. Tate, um, Yvonne Tate, she has some stuff on her website mm -hmm. um, that she produces herself. And then ISNR, the International Society for Neurofeedback um, Alliance, they have a fantastic um, video. And on our website, we also have a link to that same video. Um, it's all, it's www.allneuropathways.com. Hello. And if you're joining us, you're listening to conversations on sex, addiction, and relationships. Today, we're talking about neurofeedback with Linnea Widhelm and Gina Romo. So as we're talking about neurofeedback as a specific application for trauma, can you talk about how it can be used with sex addiction and then also betrayal trauma? Absolutely. Um, great questions, you guys. So yes, uh, I am a CSAT, Certified Sex Addiction Therapist. I'm also a CPTT, no, C? CPTT. Yes, yep. thank you. <laughs> so um, Certified Partners Trauma Therapist as well. And so what, what we find with this population is they have a lot of trauma. Um, I, I, I personally have never worked with a sex addict that doesn't have a history of trauma. Um, and so what we find is that same dynamic in a lot of the um, QEGs that we see, the raw data that we see with uh, complex PTSD, we see with these um, patients that we work with that have sex addiction. And so they often have high beta, they have high cortical arousal in the back part of the brain. We don't want that there. We want calm, we want alpha, we want uh, theta, we want delta in that, in that back area of the, brain, of the brain to really allow us to relax and go into restorative sleep. Um, and so then there is also a compensatory dynamic where slow waves get pushed to the front of the brain. Um, and so we really work hard to put a stop on those very fast beta waves that are hijacking the brain and causing uh, hypervigilance. Also, when we see high beta up on the top of the brain, it is 
um, consistent with compulsion and um, impulsive behaviors. So as we start to lower those and put a stop on those high beta waves on the top, the sensory motor cortex, we start seeing that people don't have the impulse. They don't have the compulsivity that they once had, and they can get traction. And um, this is the, these are the things that we're hearing from our clients, but we also know some of these dynamics from working with our experts. Um, and then the same concept with betrayal trauma, they have the same symptomology of PTSD. So we see a lot of hyperarousal going on, cortical arousal. So we're just starting them off with the infraslow frequency. We have probably a five betrayed uh, partners working with us with neurofeedback at this point. And we have only heard amazing feedback. If it hadn't been for the neurofeedback, I don't know if I'd be able to manage this. This has been so helpful. I'm able to pull back on my safety seeking behaviors. Um, I've been able to actually sleep at night. Um, I think I can start preparing more for the full disclosure and working on those questions now. These are the things that I'm hearing. Um, some of the clients have been putting testimonials on our website. Um, it's important for you guys to know, and you know, I'm a, I, there's a risk for me to say this, but I, I do believe that I'm compelled to say it. We don't use a set program. We have researchers, we, we have um, doctors that work with us. We are not experts, actually. Um, we're, I'm passionate, I've been doing this for over five years now, and I'm still learning. I'm going back to the basic boot camp class because the brain changes, neurofeedback changes. Um, so it, it's important to say that we read everybody's data and it's unique to that person. So the people that are going to places that have set established protocols, I feel very concerned about that. You know, um, I really, I just really want to um, recommend that, especially people with high-end trauma, that you have, that you're in a place where you have other people looking at that data um, that have the true expertise, that have been doing this as their life mission, um, that create the protocols themselves and know what they're looking at and how to read that data. Jean and I have a good sense, but these experts, these professionals, these doctors, um, that's what they do their entire lives. Well, some places use um, for their brain maps, like a computer program rather than yeah. a person. Mm -hmm. And so it can't always weed out like, um, like when you have a person looking at it, you can tell if certain data is from muscle tension or movement or something mm -hmm. else. And so, the programs can pick up some of that, but not all of it. It can't read deeper. And so while those can be helpful, I have some experience with them. It's only going to take you so far. And some people won't notice much at all, depending on the quality of that map, if it was actually a good recording or not. Um, okay. So, let me, too, so yeah. are you saying for the best ideal situation, a person as it is administering the brain map experience? That's yes, right. you have an That's actual right. individual creating that report. You don't have a computer doing it. Because we can really see, um, yeah, you'll, totally. get, you'll get impedance mm -hmm. on the on the system. So we'll know everything turns green when we have good electrical connections with the electrodes and what's happening in the brain activity. So if there's a consumer who's looking for neurofeedback that has that dynamic, what are the uh, what are the keywords or what are the, the, the terminology that they're going to be looking for? Exactly. 
Well, you can look for neurofeedback services. You just want to, you know, the, the consumer wants to ask questions. Um, and the people providing neurofeedback services need to be able to answer them, that we collect the raw data. It doesn't go through a cookie cutter program. And again, I'm not minimizing uh, the, the folks that do use those programs, um, but that we do have experts that are trained in the field of high-end complex trauma. You know, again, Mark Smith, um, Dr. Robert Coben, um, they're known for these things. So you want to have um, work with people that have consultants. And that's what we want as therapists as well, right? We want people that have more knowledge than us, that we can bounce back information, and we can continue to seek new information as it comes out to us through research. So we, we want to make sure that we're in the right hands. We're, we're, we're talking about your brain. So please, consumers, ask the questions. Don't be afraid. And if you're not getting the right answers or that you don't believe that you're comfortable, find another um, place and keep asking. You're interviewing us. Um, we're, we're there for you, not the other way around. Thank you. I think one other point I'll put in there is like certification-wise what you're looking for. Um, for someone who's a practitioner, you're looking for a BCN and is a Nancy. Um, and that's like for anyone who's providing neurofeedback training. If you're looking at someone who can like, you know, very well assess a brain map, that's like the assessment part. Um, you want a QEEGD as in David. Um, and those people have gone through, you know, the courses, the supervision, the consultation, like they're very well versed in how to actually interpret that raw data and figure out what needs to be trained and have a report and all of that. So um, in our case, we're close to that, but that's why we have the experts is because they're telling us, you know, these are the reports, these are what they're saying. And we also have them because of trauma, it's very complex, so they know better than we do. <laughs> um, and so, you know, for us, we're working on it, but that's because, you know, we have the experts who are telling us the appropriate way to train. Um, you know, we're consulting with them. So, you know, as we're working towards that, that's how we're going about it. But for a consumer, you want to make sure that they have those um, certifications or being directed by someone with those certifications so that you know that they've gone through the proper training and have the knowledge to appropriately uh, provide the training. Thank you. Regarding sex addiction betrayal trauma, is there an optimal time that you would recommend a betrayed partner post-discovery to come in or a sex addict in recovery? Because I know there's so many moving parts to, to address um, in recovery for both. Is there is there a time that you found that neurofeedback works most effectively? Yeah, good questions, you guys. You know, again, everybody's incredibly unique, right? And we talked about that earlier. Uh, Gina mentioned this, that you know, sometimes if, if clients, especially a high complex PTSD, which a lot of our uh, SA clients have, right, they, they have a diagnostic that overlaps with the addiction and trauma. Uh, if they don't have um, the body awareness, they, they, it's very difficult to, for them to connect with sensations, to, um, to have a good understanding of what's going on, to label emotions. Um, we probably will hold off a little bit and really have them do have stabilization with the foundation tools uh, for sex addiction. You know, Patrick Carnes works uh, work. That's what we use here. Um, and so it really is individual and to the level of global functioning, if you will. 
um, as they begin to have a better sense of their body, better um, awareness of what's happening internally, uh, that can be, you know, that, that, that varies from one person to the next. But I would say after the clients have already done the foundational work, they're really on their way. They're starting to really have a better sense of what, what the behaviors that, um, or what's driving the behaviors for them. They have a better sense of the emotional set inside of themselves. They're learning um, affect regulation skills. So it's it, we find that it's better after they've done the full disclosure typically, and they have a better sense of themselves and the world around them. For the betrayed partner, um, again, it's very unique and individual and it depends on how much they're connected with their body. If, if they have good connection to understanding sensations, they can label emotions, we'll start them right away as soon as the, the beginning process of, dis, of uh, staggered disclosure. Um, and they'll start with the infraslow frequency typically uh, because that just helps to calm and get them to that optimal frequency and it sets the stage uh, that infraslow frequency to do amplitude training. Um, amplitude training is really looking at that waves and when to inhibit and when to reward. Um, and so I would say for the betrayed trauma people, um, as soon as they're starting to realize they're in a heightened um, place of acute stress. So we try to get them in as soon as possible. Thank you. Great. Thank you. So I want to thank Linnea and Gina for joining us today. And if you liked this program, please share it um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, like us on YouTube. And if you want to do a little short video on TikTok about us, that's great too. Until the next time, thank you so much for listening and be well. Thank you.